Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of the galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to stunt double and stunt coordinator, the great Julius LaFleur. Star Wars fans will know him best as Weakway in Return of the Jedi, as well as stunt double for Billy D. Williams, and so many biker scouts and stormtroopers as well. He tells some incredible stories from Yuma, Arizona, and the forest of Endor in California, as well as across his career of over 140 Hollywood films. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 121, Julius LaFleur. Before movies, before everything that you worked on, what what made you want to get into stunts? What was the first impetus? What was the first love? What was the first thing that really brought you into that world, even unproactively? Yeah, I was a gymnast for many years. I competed in high school and a little bit in college. I was a tall gymnast, so I did well, but my center of gravity was so high, I couldn't really get to the level that I wanted to get to. So no matter how I tried, I I was a little frustrated because I didn't get to the point where I thought I should be. So I finally left gymnastics and wondered what to do with myself. And then what happened was a guy by the name of Paul Stater was doing a movie called The Towering Inferno, and he needed the double for O.J. Simpson. So I went and auditioned for the position, and me being a gymnast, I was very good. I mean, better than most in that profession, the stunt profession, since most of them were extras at the time, converted to stunt people. But I was a real athlete coming into the field. And from that point on, you know, the rest is history, as they say. As you move through your career, what were you kind of picking up and kind of realizing in the industry as you kind of were getting your start and getting your feet wet, so to speak? Well, first of all, I went through formal training as a stuntman. I had to learn high falls, fights, car work, horse work, motorcycle work. I had to be well-rounded. So I went into the field highly trained by Paul Stater, who was one of the top stuntmen at the time with the Stuntmen's Association. So when I finished my training, I, I, I hit the ground running. I became the high fall record holder. Myself and Dar Robinson would compete back and forth. And then I made history by doing a building to building jump, nine stories in the air, 18 feet apart with no net. So all the stunt community knew and recognized me as one of them. That's how I really got going. So all the gymnastics really helped me. My athleticism enabled me to to do some of the things that I I was doing. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to, not at the level that I wanted to be. Going back and and tracing those early movies for you, does anything stand out in terms of stunts you were doing or people you were able to kind of observe and work with during that time? Biggest star, I mean, I work on Towering Inferno. Of course, I work with Steve McQueen, Paul Newman, and I used to have hour-long conversations with Fred Astaire back in the day. He took a liking to me because I was a, a gymnast, and he, at his age, which he was, I think, approaching 80, he was still riding the skateboard. So we used to talk about that. He's a fun-loving kind of person. Then also Sidney Portier, I doubled him. You know, he was larger than life, not only in stature, but, you know, in accomplishments. So I was able to really, as a stuntman, you really are able to interact with the stars. And that was one of the things that I really liked 
because they were they were not only stars, they were very interesting people. We're pushing through the 70s into the 80s and you're working on things like Fast Times at Ridgemont High or Ghostbusters or Firestarter, like movies that still are beloved at this point. And I'd be curious in your experiences with these actors and on these sets, how you were acclimating and how you were kind of making sure that you were just an extension of, of their performance almost and really elevating it for them. I, I forgot this, but I'm actually in the African-American History Museum, the Smithsonian, as one of the first black stuntmen in history. So my whole thing is being a double, you're not the star. And the best thing you can do is learn their mannerisms, how they walk, how they, how they move, respecting their space, knowing that you just can't walk up and start talking to them. You have to kind of be invited. And it's all a protocol that you learn. And it's all respect for the craft. As they respected me, I respected them. Then you move into... Return of the Jedi, and I'd love to kind of talk about how you got involved with that and those initial steps, because that was a very involved shoot, I know, and then you add in this element of prosthetics and of makeup and of costumes even more so, and what was that first um, initial way that you got involved with Return of the Jedi? I was working on a film called A Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and a gentleman by the name of Glenn Randall was working as a football player. We're both playing football. I was doubling Forrest Whitaker. Real quick story, Forrest asked me if I thought he had a career in acting, and I told him to forget about it, go back to school. <laughs> so he's Academy Award winner now. But anyway, we were, play- we were playing football, and I hit Glenn Randall very hard, and he went to the hospital. And I mean, that's just what we did as a stuntman. You know, we're supposed to really, you know, make the action real. And he told me, hit me hard. Are you sure? He said, yeah, hit me hard. You know, that's what I'm here for. So I hit him and then he went to the hospital. I didn't know that, but he had a little fluid on his lungs and he called me from the hospital and I didn't pick up right away. And a gentleman by the name of John Moyo, who was a stunt coordinator at the time, said, hey, Glenn's trying to get a hold of you. I said, for what? He says, you know, you put him in the hospital. I said, what? He said, yeah, he went to the hospital. You hit him so hard, he went to the hospital. At that time, Glenn was one of, he was probably the largest stunt, biggest stunt coordinator in the world, you know, doing Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T. and all. He was, he was huge. And so I was nervous about calling him because I thought my career was over. And so I gave him a call. He said, hey, Julius, is Glenn Randall. I said, how are you doing, Glenn? I'm sorry. He said, no, 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 don't say you're sorry. You did your job. He said, look, I got a project that I want to bring you on you know i saw your flips and you know gymnastic stuff you did you know in the end zone doubling for whitaker he said i have a very demanding show and i'd like you to come on it just based on seeing and then now knowing what you could do after asking other people would you be interested i said yeah sure fine you know he got out of the hospital and um i got the call to go do a show called Blue Harvest. And I said, okay, it's kind of a weird name for a show, but you know, I'm just going to go there and work because Glenn Randall was somebody I wanted to get to know. Because if you know, and you're in with the stunt, the powerful stunt coordinator, that means your career is taking a turn for the, for, for the better. You know, I go to Yuma, Arizona. Of course, they gave me a ride to the set and we're going into nothingness. And I'm like, what kind of movie is this? And they had a little cocktail, cocktail mixture. And they, they wanted everybody to kind of get to know each other. So I'm walking around there and I'm looking at different people. And I'm like, I said, Blue Harvest. I 
I said, that guy over there kind of looks like Harrison Ford, you know? And then I see Carrie Fisher. I said, boy, you look like Princess Leia, the Princess Leia chick, you know? And then, of course, Mark Hamill. And then Billy D. Williams walked by. I said, they're making a movie. They're copying freaking Star Wars. They're making a movie like Star Wars. They don't have no originality, can't they? You know, but anyway, as time went on, I finally realized what they had called me to do. And then, then now I'm, I got butterflies. I mean, this is it's like the Super Bowl of stunts. You know, I've arrived on the scene. And as I got there, I saw a bunch of English stuntmen on crutches. Some, some were on crutches. Some had arm casts and neck braces. And I said, oh, Glenn's trying to get even with me now. So he's going to bring me over here and get me and jack me up. I uh, kind of mulled around and talked to a couple of English stuntmen and they introduced themselves. And I was the only American stuntman working on the film at the time. And I was there specifically to double Billy D. Williams. So anyway, I introduced myself and they told me what they were doing, how they got hurt. And they came here to play characters, which are stunt actors as, uh, of course, the, the figures that you see uh, in action figures. So they came from England to play those roles. They had fit them in costumes and everything was fit to them. But they, you know, many of them were hurt. So what happened, because they couldn't, as the day of shoot came, they couldn't perform. So they, we sent for Larry Holt, Bob Yerkes, Mike Cassidy, who were really, and, and Ted Grossman, who were very, very accomplished stuntmen too. So now we have four Americans and maybe six English stuntmen. So it was a little bit of a riff because we never had them come over to work with us, but we we're stuntmen. We had that in common. So Glenn had designed all of these elaborate fight sequences that we had to learn, and we learned them together. The English stuntmen taught us the moves that they had. But mind you, I'm watching this whole thing because I'm just there doubling Billy D. Williams. Glenn didn't know I, was, I had the high fall record at the time, and he took me over to the Silex pit. And he said, hey, this is a little gag we're going to be doing. He says, you see that hole there? I said, yeah. He says, we're going to have people falling into that hole. And, and he said, I don't know if it's just me, but people are getting hurt. Uh, what, what do you think about this? I said, what's the problem? He says, well, can you fall in? I said, I could jump from here into the pit. You kidding? I said, I can jump from here into the pit. He said, really? I said, all day long. So anyway, he kept that in mind. And we went on and we started actually performing the stunts in the movie. And, and the, you know, Dickie Beer was kind of like my competition because he was playing a lot of characters. Now, all of a sudden, I'm putting heads on and Glenn saw, you know, he needed me to do these stunts and people were getting hurt. So I actually ran from the edge of the silex pick as one of the, the characters and hit the middle. You know, now all of a sudden I'm putting a lot of different heads on being different characters. I was Klaatu, I was Weakway, I was Billy D's double, and, and, you know, a few others, Larry Holt. We all did, we were there, and we knew that we had to put out, we had to perform, not to embarrass ourselves for the Englishmen, and they wanted to do the same thing. So it was really an honest, not so much as competition. We soon realized we had to work together to pull off something that really had never been done before. So that's kind of, how we got into it, I got hurt. I was doubling Billy D. Williams, and I did a sequence where we're on the skiff, and my shackle broke off my vest, and I fell, I fell on top of a 
an English gentleman, by a stuntman by the name of Paul Weston. He broke his arm. He broke his leg. I ripped my head open, my hand open, and I thought I thought I broke my neck. Oh my gosh! So they rushed me off to the hospital, and Paul, of course, could not come back. Paul went to the hospital, and Glenn called and asked if I was. In fact, he came down to the hospital, asked if I was okay. And he said, he's going to send me home. I said, no, you're not sending me home. I said, I can still work. He said, you can? I said, yeah, I, I can still work, Glenn. So they stitched my hand up and I worked with open stitches in my hand when I was on camera. But the bottom line is I knew I was being a part of something special and I didn't want to miss that opportunity. So I did several falls into the pit and I kind of set the stage for other people that went into the pit, but I was the only one that really went from the edge into the pit, which they thought was pretty, you know, Harrison Ford and everybody thought that was pretty extraordinary, which I learned later that, you know, it was, it was, it was something to be proud of. Billy D, on the other hand, Billy D was surprised to see me come back to work after what has happened. And so I doubled him in several movies after that because of the respect he had for me and the courage of me coming back and trying the same thing that almost, uh, paralyzed me uh, to do it again and, and do it with confidence. And, and that's, that's how we became uh, business acquaintances, or I became his double for several movies after that. Moving from Yuma to then the California shootings with the stormtroopers and the scout troopers, everything like that, how did the dynamic shift? How did you apply what you kind of took from the initial set and what experiences you have kind of in the forest in Endor doing all these additional stunts now? In, in Stormtrooper or Scout Trooper armor? First of all, and I want everybody to know this, and that, that's one, one of the reasons I'm excited about talking to you about this Star Wars uh, um, event that we, uh, the movie we did. Only the stunt were the characters, okay? Uh, the English and the Americans, we were the, what they call stunt actors. And so what Lucasfilm wanted to do is we didn't know this, but they were actually going to market toys based on action figures that we performed. Like I said, I was Klaatu, I was Weequay, Dickie Beer was a Gamorrean guard, Frank Henson, who, and, and different other gentlemen that are not with us anymore. I just want all the fans to understand that we, we, we gave it our all. And we got hurt, and we came back. And that's something that I can never forget. The, the gentlemen that are not with us anymore, uh, they're very still they're very memorable to, to me and they're in my mind and and we looked at each other and we knew that we had to complete what we started now having said that you know we all got hurt and anybody claiming to have done stunts look at the credits if they're not in the credits they didn't do stunts okay i have to say that because i want to set the record straight and then also we went from there, to, answer, to, to continue on, we went from there to Crescent City, California. Those that were able to make it that weren't hurt went on to do other roles. I was a biker scout, storm trooper, uh, Dickie Beer was there. You know, the rest, like I said, they got hurt. They were left behind. But we continue on to, to do the action in the, in the forest with the Ewoks, which in itself was very difficult. Performing with the storm troopers outfits were, it was not easy. It was very difficult. 
cumbersome, but we we made it happen. The Ewoks, uh, they were nice people, you know, the, but we didn't know that they were underpaid. They were paying them as extras and they were angry about it. So what happens is a lot of those battle sequences you, sequences you see were actual fights. They didn't like the stormtroopers. They didn't want to be there. So they had those little freaking clubs and they were they were welling us in the knee. One would hit us high, one would hit us low, one would jump off a tree. And they're heavy guys, you know, they're close to 100 pounds. So they, they'd hit us sometimes. We'll roll down the hill and come back up. And, and it was a battle. It was, <laughs> it was really real. <laughs> but Glenn Randall designed all of those stunts. They were all uh, well-crafted, well-designed. And, and like I said, as a stunt person, it's all well-rehearsed. And again, we were the only ones performing those, those stunts. And, and I have to say, there's people walking around now saying that they did stunts in the movie and they did not and and then it's, it's offensive to me because of what the pain and suffering we went through as stuntmen and now someone else is going to conventions getting the glory and it's not fair to the fans it's certainly not fair to us stunt work is not just pratfalls and and jumping it it's very coordinated and it takes a lot of time and effort to make sure that it's done in the most safe way possible and i'd be interested if there was any specific stunt especially in return of the jedi that stands out to you maybe in crescent city that required some additional planning and really was kind of an extra bit of effort from you and the rest of the team to make sure that it really went off without without a hitch when i was a biker scout dickie beer and i was chose to be a biker scout and it was another gentleman by the name of frank henson that he's, he's since passed away i was at glenn randall had built a track a big track like a train track up a little kind of like a incline and it reminds you of the the wily coyote looking thing it had it had holes uh wheels on it and it was a big fallen redwood tree and what glenn wanted me to do was he wanted me to ride this contraption and right before it hit the log i had to leave i had to jump off and then there was a huge explosion that roy abregas was a special effects man set off and if you went off too soon you'd hit the log and break your neck if you went off too late you'll probably break your break your shin and your, your your legs on on the bike itself and so that was something that nobody else wanted to do and i did it because it was a challenge dicky beer had hurt his back he did the Russian swing into a tree. I don't know if you remember that. We both hit hard. And those were two of the biggest stunts, I think, in that forest. And, and um, Dickie and I have since become very close. He's, I found that he was on, on these signings, on the tours. And I hadn't been on it for a long time. And I, find, I realized that you can actually do this and, and sign autographs. And, and he told me about it and got me up to speed with it. And it's really nice how the fans remember. They know more about, you know, what I did than I, I did. They follow my career. They follow Dickies. And, you know, it's, it's really nice. In the forest, Glenn Randall was the second unit director, which meant he directed all, all the action. Richard Marquand didn't direct a lot of the stunts. In, the, in that uh, forest. And so he's just there like six people doing all he had, you know, sprain wrists and everything else. I mean, we were hurt. 
it's like we were playing football. Oh my gosh. And yeah. So, but we but we kept going to the end and, and it was really a good experience. The work that y'all did is is so appreciated, as you said, even now and and the legacy that that left, even just that one movie, is incredible. But I'd love to kind of look, you know, I think there's 140, if not more, IMDb credits to your name. And it's just like a, a whole career of things ranging from stunts to then stunt coordination, as you mentioned, like second unit direction. And looking through your entire career, are there things that stand out to you that you're especially proud of or stunts that you either coordinated or did that you now kind of look back on as like that was something that was very paramount and in your whole career? I did a film called Night Shift, and Henry Winkler was the star of it, and Ron Howard was directing the film. And they needed a, a pimp to jump from like a nine-story building into a basketball hoop and, and die at the end. So they did a search to see who was able to sit in a chair, fall 98 feet, hold that position, and then go into an airbag. Dar Robinson, who was the world record high faller at the time, turned it down. And then they called me and asked me if I would be interested. So I said, let me think about it. So I knew Dar had turned it down. So that meant, let me see if I can do it because I'll get one up on him. <laughs> uh -huh. So what I decided to do is I made a chair out of styrofoam. And if I got in trouble, I could change my body position to land without breaking my, my neck or my arm you know, or my back or anything like that. So what happened was Ron Howard called me over because he heard Dar Robinson had turned it down. And this is Ron Howard's first film directing. And he said, so Julius, uh, tell me about yourself. I said, well, you know, I did. Then also I was, I don't know if you knew this, but I was a firefighter at the time. I retired as an LA County firefighter as well, 35 years. So I was doing both. So Ron was talking to me at the top of the building and it dawned on me, he was asking me these questions because he was trying to see if I was sane or not. Oh, my God. He was not going to allow the stunt if he thought that I was kind of off my rocker because he heard Dr. Robinson had turned it down. And he asked, he says, well, what makes you do stuff like this? I said, well, it's a challenge. I said, Ron, I'm doing it because I can. I figured out a way to do it. And he says, are you sure? Because I've never done anything like this and I don't want to be responsible. I'm just going to be blunt. I said, trust me, it's going to be fine. And I told him about the styrofoam chair, uh, the way my arms were tied. It was bungee, which I could stretch out. And I jumped 98 feet into the, the airbag, landed it right in the middle, didn't get hurt. But anyway, that was my, my biggest accomplishment only because it surpassed our Robinson, as you know, was the greatest stuntman of all time, wow. you know, to this day. I mean, really, it just goes to show, and every story that you've told throughout this conversation, like the amount of effort and time and passion you have for it to really make sure that the final product is something that you personally can be proud of. And you mentioned now being able to kind of see the fruits of your labor, not only reflected on the screen and on the films that you participated in, but then now at conventions and meeting fans and really being able to interact with people that have grown up with these movies and have loved these movies. And what has your experience been at these conventions and with these fans? And and how can people find you uh, in the next you know few months, at least, of, of um, getting to hear these stories in person and getting to, to meet you in person? In the conventions, it's really, really nice because I, I see the fans of all ages. They come up and I can sign a picture or a action figure or something like that. and. And it's, I just can't believe that I'm doing this, that this, this means so much to people. 
to pay money for me to sign, you know. Uh, but then sometimes, uh, you know, they, they ask the stories and I like telling the stories. And then when you do the Q&As, uh, Dickie Beer and I was doing a Q&A for two and a half hours. And, and they just kept asking questions and they, and they wouldn't leave. And we loved it because it was so much to say. But, you know, just walking around, I see people like I see Lou Ferrigno and and I see, you know, Dirk from Battlestar Galactica. I forget his last name. And I and I see these people that I've worked with for years, you know, and we're all older now. But at the same time, is is good to it's like a, a reunion of sorts. You know, autographs were signed by stars, you know, like Billy D and people like that, Harrison Ford. But when I think about it, as we were working, we were those characters. I was Clyde too. I was a weak way. I was a biker scout. And Dickie and I sit there and reminisce about it. We actually did this. This was us. And we put something on the screen that people are lined up to see, you know, to, to get signatures. And so we have to accept the fact that we did something special, even though we're humble people. It's so great now seeing all these incredibly hardworking stunt people, especially in the most recent years, get onto the convention circuit and meet the fans and see it for themselves. Because there is a, an enormous legacy that Star Wars and movies like it have left, and I'm very grateful for it. And thank you so much for taking the time and telling these stories. It just really meant a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to come aboard and then tell my side of it, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you so much again to Mr. LaFleur for his time and incredible stories. For more information about where to find him next, as well as how to get an autograph, head to galacticproductionsevents.com. The link is in the show notes. And of course, thank you to Zach McGinnis and Kat from Galactic Productions for coordinating this interview and so, so many more of our previous episodes. It always means the world. That's all for this week. Stay tuned for our upcoming episodes and also pick up the latest Star Wars Insider, where I have interviews with Drew Struzan, Diana Lee, and Asanto, and the crew of the Old Republic. Wild stuff. If right now you can leave a five-star rating review for the show, it means a lot and really helps the show out. But until next week, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.